Hi, everyone, and welcome back to yet another cracking edition of The Matt Brown Show. This is the Secrets of Fail series where we're talking to very successful CEOs, CTOs, and entrepreneurs all about their epic business blunders. And uh, with us in the hot seat today is the CTO of a great company called AtScale, atscale.com. His name is David Mariani. Welcome to the show, David. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. The privilege is all mine. Um, so you guys are doing some exciting stuff at at scale. So I'd love for you just to give uh, our audience around the world a bit about the elevator pitch. What are you guys up to over there? Well, you know, it's uh, it's it's about making data available for to everyone when it comes to doing analytics. Uh, and uh, as you can see, I have some gray around the, the temples there. Do you? Um, and so, uh, <laughs> yeah, slightly. Um, so, uh, you know, really the story of AtScale began at my work at Yahoo. Uh, and at Yahoo, uh, we were big data. This was back in 2012 era. So big data, uh, lots of different hungry consumers um, from the in the business, from both on the advertising side for search and display, the audience side, all the Yahoo properties. And they needed data. Um, and my problem was that I had uh, I had one of everything because uh, my predecessors, you know, bought you know, Tableau and MicroStrategy and ClickView. Uh, Excel was ever present, uh, all kinds of different sort of consumers. And I had a couple hundred engineers that basically made big data small every day, uh, Matt. And so uh, I wanted to create a single source of truth. I wanted to let my audience do their own analytics using whatever tool was best for the job. So I wasn't going to try to change their habits. And I wanted to do that without moving data. So uh, at the time, we were inventing Hadoop, uh, which is where Hadoop came from. Um, and so it was a massive data lake, uh, not very accessible and only accessible by people who could write code. Hmm. So the, the goal of AtScale is to make analytics available to everyone wherever they are uh, and whatever tool they're using. Um, and we have what we call a universal semantic layer, which means that uh, everybody is speaking this, the language of business and everybody's speaking the same truth. So uh, revenue is revenue. Um, gross margins, gross margin, regardless of whether you're consuming it in a Jupyter notebook, in Tableau, or in uh, Power BI, or Excel for that matter. Exciting, man. Exciting stuff. Well, look, let's get on to the meat and the potatoes of this particular episode. Uh, David, what is your story of fail for our audience around the world today? Boy, there's so many of them. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pick one associated with the early days of that scale. So um, it's going to go back to that origin story. Um, Hadoop was a, was a... Uh, was it was a sort of the first foray into a data lake. And what a data lake was so, what was so exciting about it was that you could sort of pour data into the data lake and then you could add structure later when you, when you had something to do with that data. Um, and so the concept is, you know, exists today in spades um, and different companies like Databricks are doing amazing things with what we call a lake house. Uh, so at the time when I founded AtScale, we focused on Hadoop as our data platform. Uh, and, uh, and that was our first port. So our first sort of dozen customers or so, we all sold on Hadoop. Uh, and uh, this was in 2013 when we founded the company. It's almost 10 years ago now. 2016 is when we went to market with the product. So it took almost three years to build it. Uh, and as CEO, uh, you know, it was um, the, the, the market opportunity was great. But what we saw pretty quickly, Matt, was that um, people were struggling with Hadoop. And so we had hitched our horse to Hadoop, right? Because our strategy and our architecture is that we send queries to that data platform and it's that it does, it does the majority of the work. 
Uh, we do the translation from that technical data into business-friendly data, but ultimately we got to get our queries from Hadoop. And what, what I saw in our customer experience was that customers were struggling with Hadoop. Uh, and, uh, and it's because, you know, companies, it's like the largest, uh, um, uh, the largest home improvement retailer in the country, um, you know, they were very sophisticated and yet they couldn't keep Hadoop running on prem. And it was very clear to me at the time that, uh, if we stuck with, uh, focusing on Hadoop as a market that we were going to fail. And so the, you know, the, uh, the hardship came in that, um, we saw that uh, the cloud data platforms, especially BigQuery um, and Snowflake at the time, were these new alternatives where um, our customers could actually let the cloud and the cloud vendors manage their data infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And that was clearly the right, the, the right call. But you can imagine if you're talking about 2016, not a lot of companies were, were ready to move to the cloud. Um, and so, you know, while we sort of positioned and migrated some of our biggest early customers, one to Snowflake and one to BigQuery, uh, and we did that successfully. It took uh, it took another two years, maybe even two and a half years, for the market to realize Hadoop was a failure and that the cloud data platforms were the future. But it took a while for them to, first of all, come to that realization, and then secondly, get their data up in the cloud. So we had a, we had uh, we had like two and a half, maybe even three years of rough going, Matt, because you can imagine that our revenue on Hadoop was dying as Hadoop was dying and the revenue in the cloud had yet to kick in. Yeah. And so so we had to like, you know, basically wait out that storm, get our get the, the customers who we did sell on Hadoop, get them into the cloud as fast as we could and we could um, um, help them to and convince them to um, before we'd actually start to grow the company again. Hmm. That's crazy, man. Uh, so, uh, David, what did that whole experience teach you? I mean, it, it's it kind of like in the doldrums. It's a sailing term, you know, where there's no wind, but you're in this awkward trans- transitory space. You know what I mean? You've got to wait for the winds to come up and, and all that kind of stuff. So you're in that awkward transitional period. What did that all teach you? Is there something that you hang your hats on today as a key lesson or insight that you now take forward with you uh, into the at-scale business? You know, it's like I, I heard Matt from um, just recently from somebody I was talking to. I was actually mentoring somebody, and they said, you know, that's the, the the trick to uh, the trick to uh, a startup is don't die. Mm. Um, and I, that's really true: is don't die. So, first of all, you, you can't put your head in the sand. So, um, our competitors on Hadoop at the time, they're all gone. Um, because, you know, they were sort of like, oh, well, you know, they stuck their head in the sands. They didn't actually admit to themselves, uh, that, that there was a coming problem. And, and then it was tough to do, right? Cause you got to admit that you were wrong on something that I felt I was so right about. And you got to admit that to everybody, your customers, your board, your employees, the people that work with you. Um, and so first of all, you gotta, you, you gotta suck it up and admit when you're wrong. And when you, and then the, the second part of that equation is that, is that you gotta have, have to have a plan for weather, weathering that's that, uh, not the storm, I guess, weathering that flat spot, uh, what you, what you were talking about. Um, and that means, you know, um, you know, treating money like it's your own. You know, uh, we're venture backed. We raised lots of venture money, but you know, we were very careful about where we invested and when we hired. 
And we made sure that, you know, we had to see all the signs that the business needed new people before we actually added the new people. And if you see a lot of the startups out there, you know, one of the things they, they, they tout when they're, they, they, they brag about is they brag about how much money they raised, number one, and then how big of a company or team they are. And I think those are the, those are like the, the, the absolutely wrong things to brag about. Um, you know, I, I would rather brag about that I, I raised no money and that I'm able to generate uh, value for our customers with the few amount, fewest amount of people possible. So it's, it's, it's kind of like it's crazy out there. And I think it's what's gotten a lot of companies into trouble and it, the trouble, and we're in new trouble now. So the companies that sort of felt that way um, are going to have really hard time raising money if they can raise money at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to have to do layoffs and it's, and they're going to have to lay people off because they weren't good stewards of that, of that capital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I literally wrote about this in my book, um, about this, uh, the Silicon Valley narrative that we measure our success by the tech crunch headline, which is what you just mm-hmm. said, right? Like, oh, blah, blah, startup raises XYZ million valued at this, you know, pre-revenue. What, what was the one recently? Um, Riv- Rivian, electric cars, made 100 mm-hmm. cars valued at $3 billion. It's like, hang on a second, but you've got 100 cars in the road and you valued what? How much? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just a bit crazy. And then to your point, I mean, I've got a, I've got a, a ridiculous amount of access to capital in terms of my network and a lot of VCs and that. And, you know, when I talk to the guys, they're all saying there's so much dry powder that's just not being spent on this space. And so for me, I think the whole VC space is ripe for a shakeup, quite frankly, you know, and there's now zombie mm-hmm. funds and all this kind of weird stuff that's going on. And, uh, but what, uh, what, what doesn't change is a great business. And I think, you know, in the case of like, whether you raise money or not, it's not about how much you raise, but it's all the stuff that you said, like, oh, are your customers happy? Do you have a great culture? You know what I mean? Do you have the choice not to raise? You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. think these are also things that uh, founder entrepreneurs should be thinking about, right? Because it's not just about, well, should you be on the startup train? Because, I mean, I interviewed uh, Bo Burlingham, side note, he literally wrote the book, uh, you know, Finish Big, um, mm-hmm. and uh, all about startups, uh, you know, or companies being sold, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And small giants mm-hmm. is another one. These companies that have been around for 25 years minimum, you know, profitable, healthy, made a big contribution to the industry, never raised a cent, in venture capital. So, you know, that look, that, that would be my dream. You know, I, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've, I've raised money. And each time I say that the next time I'm not going to raise money and, you know, here I am raising money again. Uh, <laughs> you, you know what? I, I just think it's like, I, I love the stories of the businesses that were built without raising money or with raising minimal money and, and finding a way to, to build a business, um, you know, on a shoestring. Mm-hmm. To me, that's really true entrepreneurship is when you could do that. Um, and like you said, those, you know, those headlines, it's like, I always think it's like, okay, you got to grow into that valuation. So what you do is when you take a lot of money at a high valuation, you basically started the clock. That, that's the countdown to your failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you, because your, your investors are, are not going to accept anything other than a complete home run. So you've taken away all of your optionality to take time to build a business. I mean, mm-hmm. here we are at scale. It's 10 years later. Um, and you know, we just started hitting our stride. Um, and, and it's like, you know what, it's like, it's, if we, we could have died, um, and we could have died many times and yet, yet we're here, we're here because we know we were, our idea was ahead of time. It was ahead of the market. Um, and now people have come around and now we have a mature product just that we can just, you know, we can just, um, crush it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we couldn't do that if, you know, if, if we weren't around to see, mm-hmm. you know, that our, our sort of prediction would come to, would come to fruition. Mm-hmm. You know, our prediction was, our prediction was way too early. See, the other thing I would say, Matt, is like, is like, don't make timing critical to your success. Uh, because, you know, we may be right. Uh, in, in, in my case, I was right, uh, probably about, uh, six or seven years later than I thought, uh, I would be right. <laughs> well, wouldn't it be nice if all startups who raised money met their projections? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what? It's like, you can't, and you can't, you can't build a business plan that depends on you hitting your projections because you just can't, uh, you can't predict what's going to happen. Um, look, I couldn't predict, you know, that, you know, Hadoop would be a massive failure. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and it, it did, it, it's like the data lake wasn't a failure. The data lake is a massive success. Uh, but Hadoop as the first iteration of a da- of a data lake was a massive failure. Mm, absolutely. Well, let's change gears and go back in time. So David, if you could uh, have the privilege of having the keys to the Matt Brown show time machine, and you know, you could go back in time uh, to this whole time where the Hadoop story was all going south and so forth, like what would you do differently, uh, if anything, uh, and why? Well, you know what? I, I mean, what I could say is that, uh, you know, we did the right thing on the product side. And look, I'm, you know, ultimately I'm a C- CTO, I'm a, uh, a VP of engineering. And so what we did is that when we actually designed the product, we made sure that we didn't focus on, we, we didn't, we didn't hardwire in Hadoop. We made it so that we could talk to, you know, any data platform um, with, a, with a, as little work as possible. So by sort of like building in that optionality, Matt, that really sort of was a game changer for us because it allowed us to to really sort of uh, to 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 to, to really turn on a dime. Mm-hmm. Now, could we turn the business and the, the demand side on the dime? No, that that was where we had to sort of uh, uh, wait it out. And I think that you know, I think that if I had to do something over again, I probably would have been more aggressive about uh, preserving capital during that that flat spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and it's hard to do as a, it's hard to do as a leader to, you know, to, to cut costs and cutting costs ultimately means that you have to let people go because that's the major driver of costs. And, you know, I, and, and we could have, you know, we could have been in a better position. I think if I would have been like a less aggressive on hiring or maybe more aggressive on cu- cutting costs at that during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, David, what is your advice to other CEOs or entrepreneurs out there in terms of the importance of failure or failing in business success? Look, I, I always say to anybody who will listen that you learn so much more from failure than you do from success. Because if you think about it right, you could be successful because you're lucky. And a lot of people are just lucky. Um, and you know what? That's like um, uh, that doesn't teach you much, right? It, if anything, it, 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 it creates an arrogance and um, and, and over self overconfidence in, in, is my view. Mm-hmm. So um, what I what I will tell anybody who will listen is like, look, um, you know, failure it's it's fine. Failure is fine as long as you admit when you failed, and that you're quick to 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 change to change course and to and to uh, and to do something to do something to rectify that. Um, because uh, and you know and you make sure that your failures are not fatal. Uh, running out of capital is fatal. Uh, you're not going to have lived to fight another day. So don't die. I um, mean, you don't die. Make sure that you you do take risks, but you don't take risks that are existential risks. You take risks that you can survive if you're wrong. 
Um, but you should be willing to make to, to, to fail because if you don't fail, you don't, you're not learning. Um, you know, I tell I tell my people, I say, look, um, you know, you can try and fail and you'll be OK. Uh, but if you don't try, you're not going to be here long. So, you know, go ahead and try and fail. That's fine. Just you have to try. You have to take a risk or else you'll never create anything of value. Mm, yeah, such good advice. Um, David, what about books, tools, and resources and things like that? Is there, is, there, is there a book that you gift the most potentially or maybe something that you read recently that you feel like, holy shit, this is something definitely I would recommend other entrepreneurs, CEOs to use? Um, so let's see. I'll give you some old old school ones and then a newer 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 one. Um, I think that my my that one of my favorite business books I ever read was Andy Groves, um, Only the Paranoid Survive. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and that's that that's sort of a lot of my ethos comes from that um, about always looking always looking over your shoulder, always looking ahead. You got to look both ways. You got to try to look around the corner and you got to look behind you. You got to make sure you know where you are. And if you are paranoid, um, you know, you are going to always be moving yourself f- forward because of that. So I like that one a lot. You know, um, there's a lot of Steve Jobs books out there. I mean, one of the first ones I ever read was The Journey is the Reward, um, which is was my favorite uh, about Steve Jobs. And, um, and that's a, the whole philosophy that uh, that, you know, it's the journey is reward. Like it's like, so the ups and the downs, um, is when you look back at it, even if it's a failure, you'll look back at it and you'll, and hopefully you'll see the positives even in failure. And you obviously will, will, you know, be happy in your success and your successes, uh, along that way. Uh, and then, you know, the most recent book is, um, zero to one, uh, by Peter Thiel. Um, I like that one because it's just brutal, um, and it really does spell out a lot of what you see in the market dynamics today. Where you know it's a, a, the, the companies that can print money are are natural monopolies, um, mm. but even those natural monopolies don't live forever. Uh, you know the Google printing machine, search printing machine, that's being disrupted as we as we speak, and it will they'll continue to print money but not at 95% market share like they've mm-hmm. enjoyed over the past the past decade and or so. Isn't it funny how like that's just a, such a surprise, right? You never ever would have said it. You know what I'm saying? And then it took like one company that no one had heard about to put all of that at risk. It's nuts, eh? And that's that's kind of how it happens, right, Matt? Yeah. It's like it's 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 never a slow burn. Mm-hmm. I mean, the internet came and 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 it's like, you know, Microsoft Windows, what? You know, it's like I mean, the internet did completely change the game there, um, and the OS was no longer, you know, was no longer relevant in the in in the to the modern world. And so things can happen really fast, um, and that's why it's like it's like that comes back down to only the paranoid survive because you know it, you know you got to be able to be react be be prepared for you know your position as a, as a market leader to for, to being disrupted. Um, and you know, and Google has been doing that with their investments and wacky stuff like Google glass and the like, um, you know, that, that, I don't know that that strategy has actually worked at all. Uh, but you know, uh, you know, so I don't have an answer there at all other than, you know, just don't ever feel overconfident. I think overconfidence is the death of your person as well as, you know, the company and the people that follow you. Mm -hmm. 
sage advice, David, but that does uh, conclude your time in the hot seat, mate. Appreciate you for coming on the show and lending your insightful perspectives and also just to be vulnerable. It's not easy to talk about your failures, right? But we all have them. Uh, and uh, I appreciate you for that. Thanks, Matt. Anytime. Thanks, everybody. 